1,600. That is the estimated number of individuals that go missing while inside state and national parks every year. It is a rough estimate, of course. The government has not and does not want to track numbers like this. So the number could be higher, could be lower, but even with a generous benefit of the doubt applied, every year an alarming amount of people walk into the woods or a forest and are never seen again. Sometimes these cases are fairly cut and dry, with enough context clues and physical evidence to assume the individual simply got lost. In all likelihood, either a lack of knowledge or a moment of panic caused them to fall and become injured, or they just got turned around. The trees can mess with you, have you thinking that you are walking in a straight line only to find yourself double back on your own footprints. There are times, however, where context clues do not point to anything sensible, instead resembling a tattered ball of yarn. When physical evidence only serves to raise more question than it answers, times when a child goes missing and a whole host of people are called in to search, they look and they look some more, but there is not a single hint of three-year-old Timmy who is still struggling on how to tie his shoes. Mothers and fathers weep, sobbing hot tears as they are told they cannot find a trace of their child. How? How can there be nothing? The parents plead. Kids are sloppy and chaotic. Surely there must be some shred of evidence. But there's not. It is like Timmy was plucked from reality. This does not happen too often, but it is often enough to make you scratch your head. Often enough to send you into a rabbit hole of conspiracy and theories. The government is using people as test subjects. Aliens are taking them. Bigfoot just wants a friend. You can get so lost trying to see the forest for the trees that it all blends into one hazy lump of paranoia and speculation. I grew up in the woods. Not like by wolves or anything, but my father had a cabin, and I would spend more time there than I did in the city. The woods are a strange and intimidating place. The woods are not concerned whether you make it out of them. The trees do not shed a tear for the lost souls within them. I learned so much growing up that when I got older, I got a job doing anything I could in the forest. Park ranger, tour guide, and anything else in between. And then, the number crept into our forest. An estimated 1,600 go missing every year, and within the span of just two weeks, the forest I worked at contributed seven souls to that tally. Three of those, seven, were found without much incident. Only two were alive when found, unfortunately. But still, a missing report is a missing report. It is the other four that sent everyone into a tizzy. Somehow, it was more acceptable that one of the seven had died than it was that the other four had left virtually no trace. Andrew Wells, 16, was hiking with his mother. They had not gone but a quarter of a mile into the forest before Andrew's mother turned around to find she was walking alone. The forest is not very dense until you find yourself deeper in. The mother said she started screaming his name, and soon enough, everyone within earshot was too. They never got any reply. The mother swore up and down. She could still hear Andrew's footsteps up until the point she turned around. She said something about him having a heavy step 
Those steps were not there, though. We could see the mother's footprints and even the beginning of Andrew's, but at some point, around halfway, they just abruptly stopped. It was the oddest thing, though. Right where his footsteps had ended, where his next step would have been, laid a small, fractured bone. Not a human bone or anything, but like a small animal's bone that had been picked clean. Heather Harlan, seven. She and her brother were being treated to a small picnic by their parents, Samantha and Colin. They were in a small enough clearing of trees that they could all comfortably sit down. Heather and her brother began playing Duck Duck Goose, running around their parents as fast as they could as their food were being set up. They listened to Heather calling out as her feet kicked around the foliage. Duck, 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 duck. The parents said it was like someone snapping you back into reality after you have started daydreaming. That sinking realization that you do not know what is going on. Heather's voice was gone. Her footsteps had stopped. Her brother poor kid was shouting that she was on the other side of the tree, that she was still there. The only thing we found of Heather's on the other side of that path was her shoe. I say we found it, but what I mean is that a search dog found it. It put its nose right up to the dirt and huffed. The dog was permitted to dig and sure enough, a small pink shoe appeared about a foot down. I was there watching the dog because it was my dog, Ellie. As I threw Ellie a bone for finding something, it unsettled me that Ellie waited for permission to dig. I had trained her since she was a puppy. She knew not to dig unless the ground had already been dug up. Joshua McMillan, 42. There is not much to say, or even much sense to this one. Joshua told his wife he was going on a short hike. People knew he hiked there nearly every day. I knew Joshua well. He was experienced. I would even go as far to say he knew more about the forest than I did. I guess that is why it shocked me when his family reported him missing. His belongings were found by a river. All of them had been carefully set down, and a picture of him and his wife rested on top. Yes, immediately the unfortunate assumption of suicide was brought up among the search party. Then I hesitate to wonder how he would have done it. If he planned to use the river, he would have had to walk quite a way for it to get deep enough to put his head under. There were no footprints, but he could have made his way through the river, I guess. It is the phone calls that set me on edge. He called his wife three times, and they are as follows. Call one. Hey darling, just letting you know I got here, and I'm a little way in. Trying to find somewhere to rest for a minute. That river you like sure sounds nice. Call two. I must be getting old. It feels like I've been walking for hours already, but I can hear the river coming up. Anyways, I hope to catch you next time I call. Love you. Call three. I can't find the river. I've been walking. The sound never gets louder. Why won't you? To me. Oh god, why won't the river? Can you? The river? I am terribly... The reason his wife never picked up, however, is because all three calls came within a span of four minutes. The first of those calls came in just an hour after he left the house, which is about when he should have started his hike. Then there is the most recent one, the one I took to the most, the one that humbled me in what I thought I might know about the forest and the things within it. 
Nathaniel Carter, 13, was with his friends and their dad. Nathaniel said he needed to use the bathroom so he ran behind a thick enough tree so he could not be seen to relieve himself. The father of his friends kept an eye on the tree, just to make sure Nathaniel did not bolt off or that some stranger did not come along. They were not deep enough into the woods to confidently say that no one else was around. He said he watched that tree for a good three minutes before calling out to Nathaniel. When he did, Nathaniel responded by screaming. So, the father stood up and ran over. When reaching the other side of the tree, as I'm sure you had guessed, Nathaniel was nowhere to be seen. A few things stuck out though. The area where Nathaniel had been standing was in rough shape. The dirt was kicked up and looked as though someone had been frantically digging at it. Where the ground had been dug was completely clear of foliage. It looked as though someone had intentionally created a clear circle. In the middle of that circle was Nathaniel's shirt. A brand new shirt that looked like it had seen years of wear and tear. The tree was the oddest. The bark on the side Nathaniel was standing on was stripped. The tree was bare from the bottom to about the height of a child. And again, the area was clear of foliage and debris. We were unsure if the tree had always been like that or not, but I had a gut feeling that it had not been. With all these cases, it felt like a gut feeling was all we had to go on, and none of us felt good about any of them. For the first three cases, the mentioned searches were done and nothing was discovered. No bodies or remnants of the existence of any of these people, and while Nathaniel's case was much the same, I found myself compelled to investigate it on my own. I was still tending to my duties, but whenever I could sneak away, I would find myself back at that tree, staring at the barren bark trying to wrap my head around what could have occurred. I played movies in my head, movies about a man quickly running by and picking up the 13-year-old, movies about extra-dimensional beings pulling the kid into their realm. Then it came time for my weekend off. I pulled myself out of bed and stared at my calendar. Thick red X's marked off the days that had since passed. I pulled the marker up and sliced through the 24th and stared at the small red dot left on the side of my hand by the marker. Then, without another thought, I whistled for Ellie. We were on our way to that tree. Watching Ellie sniff the ground around the tree, I carefully kicked some of the foliage on the ground aside. Despite having done it a thousand times already, I still maintained hope that I would see something I had not before. There was a stiff breeze that rushed through the trees, whistling against the bark as it brushed by me. Staring at the ground, I noticed the breeze pushing the foliage around, but none of it landed in the circle. Feeling a tinge of curiosity, I lifted my focus to where the wind originated from and through the spaces in the trees, I saw a figure. A human standing perfectly framed by the trees as if they had wanted me to see them, like they had used the wind to call for me. The figure stood far enough away from me that I could not make out any features despite the sun that penetrated the trees above me. Piercing, God rays meticulously avoiding the person. The leash in my hand grew taut as Ellie stepped cautiously in the direction of the figure. I swear I had my eye right on the person when my vision blurred. I had not blinked and my eye was starting to dry out. I quickly rubbed it and tried to lubricate it with a tear that rested on the corner of my eyelid. Of course, once I was done, the phantom was gone, but Ellie still looked to where the individual was. I could see her nostrils flaring. She had the scent. Placing my hand on her collar, I clicked down on the metal clasp holding the leash and collar together. Ellie is a good girl, 
trained well and I can trust her more than I can trust most people. With her free from the leash, I told her to follow the smell. Her paws trounced through the forest floor as I followed closely behind. She snaked through the trees, lowering her nose to the ground following the scent. She rounded one of the trees as I followed her. I came to find that she had vanished. I stopped dead in my tracks, feeling how still the air had gotten all of a sudden. A gut feeling more pungent and aggressive than the others rose slowly through my gut. It was like acid bubbling. I swiveled my head all around looking for Ellie. I whistled in hopes to hear her respond. Yet, silence filled the air, hoping to hear any movements from her. I did not move too much or panic, but it was hard to ignore the tingling. It was coating my skin. It was the first time I had felt it, but something instinctual in me knew what it was. The feeling of being prey, watched by a predator. Quickly, I stepped around the trees looking for my dog, suddenly feeling more isolated than I ever had before. As I started to feel the panic seize me, the lease in my hand had suddenly become taut once more. With a cursory glance, Ellie was sitting at the under end of it. Her nose pointed forward, and I could see she was looking at something. That very same figure, closer, but still unrecognizable. My nostrils flared this time as huffs of anxiety plumed out. My jaw was clenched shut. I pulled at Ellie's leash with the figure closer now. I could at the very least tell it was not a child. The thing was broader and taller than I was. Ellie was reluctant at first, but with a harder pull, she gave in and followed me. I turned away from the figure and started heading in the other direction, wondering if I was letting my nerves get the best of me. That maybe I had been focusing too much on these cases. What primordial intelligence had been hiding in my brain that so desperately urged me to not interact with the figure? The same intelligence that conducted my body into running away from it, not just walking or jogging. Me and Ellie were shuffling through the trees. This time I kept her close by my side, making sure not to break eyesight. I was nearly thrown to the ground when Ellie abruptly stopped and yanked my arm behind me. She had her nose to the ground again before I could usher her to move once more. She started digging at the dirt. As she continued to dig, I could see through the clumps of dirt a small fleck of pink that got bigger and bigger. A shoe? A little girl's pink shoe? Ellie whined at the discovery, and I pulled at her leash once again. When she had dug the dirt up, there were no debris. A perfect circle of dirt laid around the site down on the side. I wanted to throw up, and I'm not sure if I was even afraid anymore. I felt like I had been staring at an unfinished puzzle for hours, and when I finally found the pieces that fit, the picture that resulted did not make any sense. I was not understanding something bigger than me, and it was making me physically ill. Even though I had made my way to the tree a dozen times, I could not remember how to get back anymore. I had become so disoriented. I did not know how it could be possible that I would end up at the tree again. Looking around, trying to get a bearing on my surroundings, I saw the figure in the distance once more. The figure was walking this time, its hand holding something to its ear and as if it carried by the window, I heard echoes of a voice. The gut, feeling that had been rising all at once plummeted when the tendril-ridden word pried into my ears. An older man's voice, shaking and exhausted, desperately crying up. Oh God, why won't the river show up? 
The words clattered. The figure in the distance sputtered for a moment before turning its attention to me. Can you find the river? I'm terribly lost. My body started to go limp as I started trotting backward. Trying to keep myself steadied, I rested my hand against the nearest tree when I felt something slam into my side. As my body fell to the floor, I heard the voice echo. This voice was much smaller and childlike. It exclaimed, Goose! Before I could get up and rise to my feet, the footsteps hurried away from me. I did not feel like I could get up. My heart was tapping against my ribcage. The once calming and scenic view of the tree stretching far above me now looked like ancient fingers trying to grasp me. Ellie laid next to me, placing her head on my thigh, staring at me. She was used to getting treats when she found something. I reached into my pocket and pulled out a bone and handed it to her, and as always, she very clumsily tried to devour it. Half of it dropped out of her mouth when she clamped down her jaw. The bone hit the floor, and it rested for a moment. I could see it starting to sink into the earth, as if it were being pushed down. The white bone started to crack and splinter under the invisible weight. It was not long before I knew what I was looking at. This, of course, like everything else, filled me with dread, but also a sense of direction. Sitting up, I tried to remember the first time I saw that bone, what direction the footsteps could have been going in. Not even a quarter mile, half a quarter mile. That is how far I must have been getting out of the forest. Pulling myself to my feet, I inched forward, trying to break past the paralyzing uncertainty that had cocooned me. Trees passed by as I moved faster and faster. Ellie, following closely behind, the tree's density started to lessen and the area became more familiar. And before I knew it, I was collapsing into my car. It took me a while to drive back home, to shake what I had been trying to comprehend, trying to rationalize explanations for it. The forest, however, rarely offers explanations. There is a bewildering number of things we do not know about the planet we live on, whether it be the forest we hike through or the oceans we swim in. There is so much out there beyond us. The tree line is where we lose grip on footholds. We use to convince ourselves we know how things are supposed to work. I do not know what happened in that forest. I do not know what will happen when I come forward with my experience. All I know for certain, as I looked down at my calendar and I lifted the red marker, drawn an X over the 24th to mark it off, is that in some cases, we are not meant to see the forest for the trees. Thanks for listening to this creepy and downright strange story written by author Jojo. If you enjoyed this story, please be sure to hit that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes these videos get, the more YouTube promotes it in the algorithm, and that's incredibly helpful to the swamp. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Hit that subscribe button, and turn on notifications to never miss a new video. I upload them nearly every single day, and all things natural and supernatural. If you're listening to this on iTunes or another podcast platform, please be sure to give this a 5-star rating, as that truly helps me out a ton over there. If you guys have a story that you would like to share in a future video, be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I'd love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. It's stories like yours that truly help keep this show going on a daily basis. 
I'd love to know in the comments down below what areas and state parks you would like me to cover in future stories. If you're on the go and don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can download them absolutely free from iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, and just about anywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you guys would like to support the Swamp outside of hitting that like button, giving us a 5-star rating on iTunes, and subscribing, maybe check out the merch store. I've got t-shirts and all kinds of other cool accessories. I'd love to see you guys wearing some cool Swamp threads. Be sure to connect with me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and other social medias, and I'll see you guys soon with another creepy video.